Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is sponsored by Mike Dahan in honor of uh, the uh, yorta, upcoming Yortzeit of Baba Sali, Rabbi Israel, Rabbi Mesouda, uh, Abu Hatzera, Allah Shalom. And um, it is our, our wish and our prayer that his uh, tremendous and, and considerable zechut should be Magen Alenu, should protect uh, us and our children uh, for many, many, many generations. Vayomer Adonai el Moshe. And Hashem spoke to Moshe saying, Come to Paro. So after all of the miracles that we read about this last week, so six, seven, uh, six, seven miracles in last week's parasha, right? Now we come, we have Arba, Barad, oh, sorry, six, Ar, seven, seven. seven. We have uh, Arba, we have Choshech, and we have Makar Bechorot, the last three in this week's parasha. So Hashem says to Moshe, Come to Paro, I've hardened his heart, the heart of his, his servants, Leman shiti ototai ele bekirbo. Why have I hardened their heart? What's the purpose of that? In order to be able to place these plagues um, uh, amongst them. Most times, a person who experiences so many hits one after the next, what are they going to do? They're going to say, fine, just go. On a certain level, HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted that they should be able uh, to withstand the makot so that they should be able to go through the whole, the full, the full ten. What was the point in having them be able to go through the full ten? One element was that which we discussed on Shabbat. We talked about the idea of Hashem running the world and the planting of the seeds of Emunah in the Jewish people's future forever and ever and ever that came uh, from the ten makot. But the Pasuk here says something very special. Uleman, in order to saper you shall tell in the ears of your sons, Uben bincha and your son and your son's sons for all generations. It has shared For this that I made a mockery out of Egypt. And the signs that I placed in them. And you will know that I am Hashem. We're seeing in this Pasuk not only the idea that Emunah uh, is something that gets passed down from father to son, important. The obligation to ensure that your children are children of faith, that they have true Emunah that falls on each and every dad. And what is the method to cultivate that Emunah? The Pasuk is telling us a hint. Uleman tisaper in order that you relate, that you tell specifically the story. What is the Pasuk communicating to us? And if you think that this is just a happy accident, the uh, Avne Nezer points out that if you look at the Targum, at the translation, the Aramaic translation, written in Targum for the Pasuk, and you shall tell your sons on that day, which we read, on the night of Pesach, as the cornerstone of the obligation that every person has to tell their children about it. What is the translation, the Targum of the word Vihigadita? Says the uh, Targum, Vechave. What does Chave mean? It means bring to life. Vechave means tell a story, right, in order that the person, that it's brought to life in the person's experience. One of the challenges that parents have, unfortunately, when it comes to emunah, 
is that we categorize emunah as something that belongs in our heads, and we don't realize that emunah is actually something which begins in our head, but is meant to land, is meant to grow, is meant to uh, uh, be sustained within our hearts. hayom says the pasuk, you shall know today, where is knowledge? Here. Vehashevota elivavecha. And then you need to return that emunah from the head to the heart. This process, how is one supposed to do that? How do you do that? That's the power of a story. Rabbi Galinsky points out, he says, you know how strong, you know how powerful a story is? He says, let me tell you a story. <laughs> the Pasuk tells us something remarkable. Vayikach Korach ben Yishar ben Kehat. Korach gathers. He leads a rebellion against Moshe, against Aharon, and indeed, even against Hashem himself. And who, who comes with Korach? Most of us, we, the way we remember the Pasuk, the Parasha, is you think he got the 250 people, the people that died. He got some people from Shevet Levi, some people from Shevet Reuven, right? That's what we think. But if you look at the Pesukim, you'll see that Korach manages. I don't know if they're all on his side, but he manages to gather all of Am Yisrael. How does he do that? How does he convince people to go against the two people that have proven themselves time and time again to be the agents of God himself? Let's say as an example, you decide you, you don't like me anymore. Okay, you know, fine. You're going to go to another rabbi. You go to another shul. No problem. Right? What, how, how can I prove to you that I'm the one chosen true rabbi? I'm not. But how can I prove it to you if I was? What would I say? How would I prove it? Imagine Moshe Rabbeinu and Korach, just like Moshe's like, uh, sorry, the people, when they hear Korach speaking, they would have said, what do you mean? mean? So you're saying Moshe's not the guy? So the guy who did all the miracles in Egypt, he's not the guy. <laughs> he just, he's just a power-hungry guy, a narcissist, but then how is he doing all the miracles? Are you understanding this? But he split the sea. I don't get it. Wait a second. So you're saying Hashem did not choose Moshe? So then how come when the time came to get the Torah and the Luchot, Hashem called him? And how come the Shekhinah spoke from Moshe's throat? You understand? How much evidence? How much evidence do you need? They complain to him that there's no food. What does Moshe do? He prays and manna starts raining down from the heavens. How did Korach convince the people? against such overwhelming evidence. The Midrash shares something remarkable. The Midrash says that Korach told them a story. What was the story that Korach told them? He went around from tent to tent, different parts of the Jewish people, and he told the following story. You know, Hazit, there's an almanah, a widow who lives next to me. She has two sons, Yetomim, orphans. They were starving. They only had one field. So what are they going to do? They decided they're going to, she has no one else to sustain her. She needs to eat. She needs to feed the children. She decides, you know what she's going to do? She's going to work the field. Anyway, she goes to work the field. She takes her 
ox, she takes her donkey and she starts plowing. Moshe Rabbeinu comes and says, you're not allowed to, you know, you can't do this. She says, okay, I'm sorry, mechila. So what does she do? She attaches it only to the shore. She gets less plowing done. She comes to plant, she decides, you know, I'll plant a few different things. I'll plant some grapes, I'll plant some wheat. I'll plant, that way I'll have some food, some wine. Some. Comes Moshe Rabbeinu says, no, you can't plant kalayim. Okay, okay, I'll only plant one thing. I'm going to plant only wheat then, at least the basics. Right? Comes Moshe Rabbeinu says, you have to give leket shikha peah. Okay, so she gives leket shikha peah. You know, she, you know, and, and you know, all the things that she has to do from the field. Now she, got, she has to give, you know, from the final thing for Chalash, she has to give to Aaron HaKohen. And on and on and on. She decides, you know what, forget it, Hajit. This field is too much work. I can't work with this field. I have to give all the parts to Aharon uh, for, for, as a Kohen. He's taking everything from me. Okay, you know what? Fine. Um, she sold the field and she bought instead two goats. She said, you know what? I'll live from the goat's milk. It's very rich. I'll live from the goat's milk, me and my children. And then, you know what? I'll sell also the, the wool from the goats, from the sheep. I'll be able to, to survive. Comes Aaron, Reshit Hagez, the first of the cutting. Right? You know, but they give birth to two sheep. Aaron comes, he says, give me the Bechor. <laughs> anyway, that tragic story. Look, they took everything from this lady. Her children are dying of starvation. <clears throat> he convinced Am Yisrael with a story. Now the Mefashim ask something, which is, I mean, it's, it's mind-blowing. Who, who, no one bothered to ask Korach one question. Who is this lady? Who is this lady that owns a field in the desert? Who's planting in the desert? Who is this woman? Where we're moving constantly, and whenever the clouds leave, she owned a field? Is this, how is this even a story? Oh, her children are starving? What, does everyone, everyone's eating the man. This is what they eat every day. They didn't need anything. The Pasuk says that for 40 years, they didn't, weren't lacking anything. So who is this Hazikes woman? Not only that, all of these things, Leket, Shikha, Pe'ah, there's no obligations only in Israel. The whole story is a lie from the beginning until the end. And it's a lie against Moshe and Aaron, who everyone was able to see with their own eyes, were the agents of God. And still they believed it. That, Rabbi Glinsky says, that's the power of a story. You never heard that tune with Sam Busak in reach, did you? <laughs> My friends, this obligation, the obligation to tell stories, is a chiyuv that we have a holy obligation that we have uh, with our children. It means telling stories of emunah. It means telling uh, about the things that happened to you that illustrate that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is in your world. I mean, and it's unbelievable. It's not rabbis only that have these stories. This past Friday night, we had a few different guests in our home. And I asked this question. 
You know, this concept, we're learning that Hashem runs the world from the miracles. Where have you seen in your life that Hashem runs the world? Where have you seen? And different people at the table, you know, shared a story. And I'm not going to share this girl's story because it might be personal. Maybe someone will work out who it is. But we were all sitting there with our mouths hanging open. A regular girl. Not a rabbi. Not a rabbitson. But see, the problem is that until you start telling stories, you don't have stories. Let me explain what I mean. People ask me all the time, Rabbi, how is it that you have so many different stories that happen to you? The answer is, I'm not any different than you. It's just that because I'm looking to share them, I'm looking to teach, I'm looking to relate, when you need to tell stories, your eyes are open. And you're connecting dots. And you hold on to the beginning of a narrative, of an issue, of a difficulty until you see the end. I want to share with you a story that a rabbi friend of mine recently related to me. There was a rabbi who was purchasing, uh, in Eretz Israel. he was purchasing an apartment. Okay. Anyway, time's getting closer and closer for him to uh, close on his house. And he gets a phone call maybe two days before he's supposed to close. Gets a phone call, and it's a man, and the man calls him and says, Rabbi, you don't understand. He says, my mother is, uh, uh, is, is very, is, what's it called, is very distraught. What's the issue? The mother's very distraught, she, her husband passed away. She's being, unfortunately, she's being, uh, her lease is over, they're asking her to leave. She doesn't want to leave. She's, uh, you know, she just, uh, she just had all these difficult things happening with, with her family. What's the, you know, I can't, I can't leave now, but they have someone else, so they want to sell or whatever the cases. So they're telling her, you know, Lisa's up, it's time to go. And, and this, this man is saying to the rabbi, it's very difficult, I can't believe it. How could such a thing happen? How could they do such a thing? Don't they realize how, they, you know, let, give us some an extension, give us some time. Anyway, the rabbi listens to the phone call. He says, you're 100% right. He tries to calm them down. He tries to relax them. You know, maybe I can get involved, this, that, and the other. Anyway, this is the end of the rabbi's phone call. Later that day, the rabbi's phone rings again. Picks up the phone. And who is it? It's the landlord of the house that he's closing on. And the landlord says, Michila. I'm so sorry, I know we're supposed to close tomorrow. But unfortunately, the person that's in the house, she's not well, she's an elderly woman, she's very, very sick. So even though you have the right to close on the time and you could throw her out, please, we're asking for clemency for an extension. Now, in the rabbi's head, that he'd already established that a person who could do this to someone is a villain that they would not let them wait a little bit more time. That person's a Rasha Merusha. He's the worst type of person. What happens now? Who's the Rasha in the story? Him. So Borei Olam gave him the story, gave him the illustration, in order to make him see, to make him feel, 
Otherwise, what would have happened? The rabbi would have heard the case, would have went to the shelf, looked up in uh, Yabiya Omer, you know, turned 16 pages in, you know, Hilchot, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, Shechenim. So what's the halakha? Oh, I'm so sorry. The halakha here says, Siman, uh, you know, you're Amam, it's Amunvimar, the halakha. But because he was a Rasha Mirusha, by his own, by his own definition. So what did it give him? It gave him the ability to see himself in that way. That's the power of a story. Who employs this exact methodology? Natana Navi. When David Amelech does something, which arguably the Gemara says, anyone who says David sin, is making a mistake. Natana Navi comes and he says, there's this poor woman. She only has one sheep. There's a rich guy, he has many sheep. He decides that he wants to take the one sheep of the... David Amelech says, well, he wants to take the one sheep of this person and he has so many sheep and he's rich. Who's this person? I'm going to go get him. I'm going to punish him. Natana Navi says, it's you. You have many wives. This guy only has one wife. You want the one wife that he has? David Amelech immediately says, Khatati, I sinned. I wonder what would have happened if Shimuel Hanavi had come to Shaul and instead of telling him, what did you do with the Amalekites? And Shaul said, no, I this, I that, the people, the thing, we're Korban, we don't want to waste it. What if Shimuel had come to Shaul and said, well, I have to ask you a question. There's a poor Almana. <laughs> she was asked by her husband after he did everything for her to do one thing, he had one request. After he gave her everything, could you imagine that she ignores the one request? Shaul would get hot under the collar. One thing he asked, after everything that was given, everything was given, she didn't fulfill the wishes of her, of her, uh, of her Baal? Terrible! And Shmuel would have said, that's you. Hashem made you the king. Hashem gave you the power. Hashem gave you the wealth. And he asked you what to do, to do with the story of Amalek. You didn't listen. You listen to the people. Instead, you listen to the other voices. Instead of the person that gave you everything. I imagine maybe Shaul might have said, Hatati. My friends, this is the power of explaining things to children through the medium of a story. In fact, I hold up in front of you the book of God Himself. If you analyzed how much of this book is stories. N not to say that it's not important. Stories are the most important. Vihigadita, this telling over, this sharing, which the word vihigadita, its root comes from the word lahagid, vayaged. When you speak vayaged, you're speaking very tough. Did you know that? The Gemara says, Vayaged devarim kashim kigidim. Words that are tough to chew on. Like when you get a vein, a thick vein in the meat, you can't, you can't chew through it. And what is these, how do you tell someone something that's so tough? Limante saper. That's how you bring it to life. Communicating difficult things to children. A child misbehaves, they're bullying another child. You tell the kid, you're not allowed to bully a kid, child. Is that the right thing to do? That's not. You're appealing to the child's brain in this moment. 
When most times a kid is bullying, they're not bullying because they think, you know what I should really do today? You know how I'm going to assert my dominance in the classroom? The kid doesn't think that way. Most bullies, they're that way because they feel inadequate. They feel disrespected. So tell the kid, tell him over his own story. You know, someone called me today. They were very upset. They were crying. You know what it feels like when you're crying. Do you like how that feels? Do you understand? That's the nafkamina. And then you say, and you did this to them. I know you didn't mean to, but sometimes you don't know how strong you are. Aren't you strong? Yeah, very strong. Look at how you made them feel. Do you want to do that? Did you want to do that? What's the kid going to say? Every kid wants to feel like they're a sadiq. Did you want to do that? No, I didn't want to do that. So you did it by mistake? Yeah, yeah, I did it by mistake. You're giving the child an opportunity through the story to recognize the profundity of what's just taken place. About how a kid could come the next time to the class and the next time he's still crying, but he's crying inside. Kids understand. People understand. But you have to bring it to life. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wasted his time, so to speak, with very long and intricate stories. Because he knew that if he gave you a book that only said, don't do, do this, go here, buy that, what would happen? We wouldn't connect with it. Our feelings towards Yahadut come from the way we feel about Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, how we suffered in Egypt, the stories of going to Eretz Israel, the miracles of the sea splitting. We relate to the themes so strongly because of that. So this tool in your arsenal, when you communicate with your children, when you communicate, by the way, uh, not just with children, there's an amazing thing a study that was done in the world of business where they realized that each brand was actually no longer selling the features of their product but they were selling a story. Apple had a story to tell and the story was this piece of technology is so cool, it's so chic, it's for the people that are, you know, it's so, it's elegant, it's simple. You have to have this thing. They turned Apple into a story. A story of sophistication. A story of, of affluence. So much so that when the new iPhone comes out, there's a line waiting outside the store. Longer line even than the COVID testing sites. <laughs> At this point, if you ask people online, what's the difference between this phone and your phone? They don't even know. But they bought the story to such a degree that all you need to tell them is not what's in the new iPhone, all you need to tell them is that there is a new iPhone. Chalas, they're online, snowing, raining, no matter. There was actually an episode, I think, with uh, one of the late night shows uh, you know, in, uh, on TV, where they took uh, the old iPhone 
and they found people on the street, and they said, "This is we got our hands on a new on the new iPhone. Uh, we want to let people use it and see what they think about it." Anyway, play around with it for a minute. Tell us your thoughts. And the guy's like, oh, it's much faster than mine. It's, you know, the, the colors are much brighter. You know, it's amazing. I could see, I could tell as well, the, the camera quality is far superior. It's the same phone that he has. Yeah. It's the old version. But they bought the story so much that it could turn something false into something true. It could turn Moshe into the villain. That's the power of a story. My friends, if a story could turn something false into something true, how much more so can it turn something true into something you're willing to live by? Don't underestimate. Talk about in your house at the Shabbat table. And it's not just for children like we just shared uh, you know, from, the, from, from the business world. With your wife, with your, you know, most often it's so interesting when a couple comes and they have trouble and you're trying to make Shalom Bayit, you know how Shalom Bayit's achieved? By listening to what he says, by listening to what she says, and then telling her the story from his perspective. And then telling him the story from her perspective. All of a sudden, their own version of what happened gets displaced by the story that you just shared. That is the koach of Sipur. May Hashem bless us to be the greatest storytellers of all. Storytellers of emunah, storytellers of faith, of Jewish history. Let our kids know about Eretz Israel. Let our kids know because you know what? If you're not the one telling them a story, make no mistake, someone else is telling them a story. The whole world today bought the story of what's going on of the other people in Israel. So every Jewish kid on campus is now anti-Israel because they bought a story that someone, Hazit, the Yatom, the Almana, the this, the that. They don't tell you there's a rocket launcher underneath the Almana Zadeh. You understand? Make sure the world is telling, it's spinning its stories. If you're not there, the chance uh, of, uh, of the kids hearing yours is negligible. Baruch Adonai Amen.